Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome. It's your Managing Madrid podcast for this weekend. Um, this is Gabe Lezritz, August 5th, and I'm joined by Kian Sobani. Um, hey, Kian. Hello. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, and by Om Arvin. Om, um, thank you for writing this um, awesome <laughs> immediate reaction to this uh, Juve game. Real Madrid obviously um, beat Juventus 3-1 to in a uh, uh, International Champions Cup, the prestigious International Champions Cup uh, here in Washington, D.C. Uh, and yeah, so um, was this I our first preseason win ever? I don't remember winning a preseason game last season even. Yeah, it's it's been a long time since we've won a preseason game. That's for <laughs> sure. And as we all know, it's it is really important and meaningful when the team wins a preseason game. One should oh. take as much as possible from this. Absolutely, there's so much to take away here. One, we're winning the treble. We're we're winning absolutely everything now that we've won this game. Vinicius Junior is better than Mbappe. He's better than Ronaldo. Come on, guys, let's yeah, let's be point. bold here. <laughs> um, Bale, Bale, Bale is back. He's never going to get injured ever again. Um, you know. Lopetegui is already better than Zidane. Oh I mean, yeah, for sure. It's just this is this is the this is the greatest moment of our period right now. Beginning now, it's just going to be total and utter dominance. But the real question is, where does Marcos Llorente stand in all this? Oh yeah. That's, oh, I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry, Keon, but he's not part of it. I'm, I'm glad that I'm we. I'm rage quitting this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're rage quitting the podcast like Messi quit the uh, national team after they lost that penalty kick. Oh, that was that was uncalled for, Gabe. That was uncalled for. What did what did Messi do to you of late? <laughs> I just still think it's funny that 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 exact moment. Like I I watched that game and he just looked so bad, and then like they lost <laughs> penalty shootout, and it was so fucking funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to just quit the national team in anger after losing the Copa America final to Chile on penalties. Uh, all right. Well, let's I, – everyone can tell that we're really not in um, full season form right now, but we're, we're <laughs> trying to get back. <laughs> uh, Madrid beat Juve, obviously, 3-1 to one goals from Carvajal and, and Bropia. Uh, from Bale and then two from Asensio, uh, who I think of all the players um, – really did seem to hit the ground running, uh, Marco. So uh, I don't know how much there is to take out of it. Obviously, you know, what you look for in these games is like, how are the players com combining with each other? Are they getting their match fitness? Um, how is like 
Lopetegui does seem to seem to come out and like try to implement a tactical idea um, each each match and sometimes multiple multiple times a match. And so it was kind of interesting to watch Madrid's tactics, at least in the way that you know the, the players are slowly and and but surely understanding the juego de posición stuff that that Lopetegui is trying to uh, trying to do. This was yeah. like oh sorry go ahead on. <clears throat> I I was just gonna talk about like the pressing was the most positive thing that that we saw there in terms of tactics because in in the first game right it took like 15 to 20 minutes to really get into the high pressing game that Lopetegui wants which is understandable we didn't look very fit it was nice to see that this game straight off the bat it was high pressing we already looked way fitter than we did the last game which was really nice to see and it wasn't just the fitness it was really organized unusually organized for a preseason game and you know i don't want to take away too much from juventus's performance but it is worth noting that they looked extremely uncomfortable i think our pressing was at a level not usually expected at preseason because i think in a normal game juve deals with that a lot better but they just looked terrible whenever we were pressing them because it was really compact you know the, the the front three with the two central midfielders were moving in unison and then the the fullbacks would bomb up whenever the ball moved wide it was very nice to see it didn't last into the second half that well you know which is expected again it's preseason but you could you could again you could see the fitness you could see the mentality that's needed for pressing everyone was really aggressive everyone was moving in unison so that was very promising to see, and it shouldn't be that surprising because under Zidane, we did have good moments of pressing. So it's obvious that this team understands like the the the, the, the triggers, you know, how to move in unison, all of that kind of good stuff. Um, it, it's about applying the fundamental concepts on a consistent basis now. So it, it happens every game, and we don't have these erratic performances. And I think that will be emphasized under Lopetegui because it's needed under positional play, this rigorous application of of, of concepts for this entire system to work. So yeah. um I expect to see this game, you know, every single game now because that's the way that's the way he wants to play. Well there's an there's an urgency with it. Like at preseason or not, because Lopetegui has to come in and kind of implement his ideas before the season starts so that once the season starts you're hitting your stride, and I know, like with preseason, we we take we only take so much away, and as we've noted before, we we win a preseason game every ten years, um, and it doesn't matter because we win the Champions League. But um, I think to gradually ingrain these things into the habits of the cl- the collective habit, but also the individual habit of the players to press the way they did, and be in the positions they're supposed to be. So that it comes second nature for them, there's an urgency to do that now and and try to ingrain mm-hmm. it in the team. I thought so. The, the first half, the you know, we we did a lot to even make Chesney uncomfortable, um, and there wasn't much offensive curation in the first half. And apart from you know, Bale would would get it, he would release it and immediately dart to a to a run, and either Cruz or Isco would try to hit him. And Cruz actually did hit him a couple times with a couple of really nice passes, or it was just the press winning possessions. And I remember on. On one instance, Ceballos winning the ball and then getting fouled, which would have led to a to a breakaway. And it was, it was Benatia, by the way, who was still has a ton of rage in his heart for us. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think the second half, the press was actually quite impressive as well because you you had a bunch of, and it wasn't you know it wasn't right off the bat, but like mm-hmm. towards that stretch where 
we were we were having like eight million counterattacks against Juve, and it started to look like a carbon copy of the of the Champions League final 2017. Um, <clears throat> there was Asensio, Vinicius, Odegaard, um, Sabias was another one. We were pressing really well, and I think that um, something happened in the background in my house. I don't know what it was, but um, but that in itself was like really um, impressive to me too. Like there was there was there was something there that I think everyone was on the same page about and which was exciting. Yeah. And I think, I think the way Lopetegui is going about implementing his tactical ideas is the right way. Because if you think, if you look at our pressing as the strongest, what wasn't very strong was our passing. There, there were three or four moments where it did look quite good, where, you know, we, we'd attract the attention of the defense. We'd attract the press on one side, you know, we try to probe, it wouldn't work. We'd circulate the ball backwards and then we quickly switch play and we have an outlet there. And we do that. And, you know, a, a couple of times in, in, in that preseason game, even the one before, and we'd work our way quickly into the box and we'd create a dangerous attack. Like that is classic positional play, but it, it wasn't happening regularly. And most of the time, you know, our, our structure looked slightly off. Like our players weren't getting into their correct positions fast enough. You know, the speed of thought, you know, was just half a second too slow. And just in general, the overall chemistry when we were when we were trying to build from the back was just a bit off. And that's not that worrying to me. This is a difficult system that takes a while most of the time to to get your players to understand. But to me, this is even less worrying because what's always most important in t- in, when you're implementing a tactical system is to get the defensive side of the game first because that is always the most important, especially when yeah. you have the offensive quality we do. It, it's nice to see that our pressing is there. So if we can get our defensive stuff figured out before the, the season begins, we can rely on individual quality to carry us for a bit before we get our offensive system in place. And so that way we're not leaking goals and we can, you know, we can edge out these wins, you know, 1-0, 2-1, maybe 2-0, um, because we have that individual quality, you know, rather than the opposite of us having our offensive system in place and these really shaky, like, 3-2, 4-3 wins, maybe even a loss where we can see it a lot. So I'm I'm in a, I'm pretty happy with the place we're in right now when it comes to our tactics. I think it's going ar- along quite well, slowly in some places, but I think... We're emphasizing the the right pieces right now, and Lopetegui did show some um, new offensive looks. I mean, we for I think for the first time um, uh, saw him with Real Madrid at least roll out that false nine when in the second half when Asensio basically played there, and I thought that looked really good too. I mean, his that Asensio Vinicius combination leading up to the second goal or or for the uh, for the for the second goal was very brilliant i thought and vinicius himself like seems to be adapting faster and and with uh, more poise than i expected to be honest and uh, it was that was a cool system watching asensio play in, in in that center like we we i mean Keon, we had been talking previously about how that was first of all. That's one of the looks that Lovatagi likes to go with, and second of all, that Madrid actually does have a really a team that's really set to do something like that. Uh, and it was cool to, to cool to watch that kind of be executed on the pitch. The Asensio false nine is um, 
I, I think if we don't bring anyone in, like buckle up, I think that's going to be something we'll see a lot of because that's that's yeah that's essentially our second option, if not first option, in, in many games. Um, you can't rely on Benzema every single game to do this. And look, I I, I personally think Asensio is built to play that role. I think he can do it. I think one of the reasons why, if there's no urgency, be it right or wrong, and whether we agree or not, is because to, to sign a striker is because. Asensio in Lopetegui's eyes can play that role, and and it's a, could be a combination of not necessarily not wanting a striker, but also like the ones you can get maybe don't provide that big of an upgrade in Lopetegui's eyes for the the money you you would spend on them and whatever. Um, but I think I think that him playing that second half was was just kind of I don't know if it's a premonition, but it's something that I think he wants to try to to see more of and. And figure it out how it's going to work because I think as the transfer window draws to a close, slowly but surely, I don't, I don't if the striker doesn't come in, we're going to see it, a lot of it. Yeah. And by yeah, the way, I think I, it's a good option. Like I personally, I would, yeah. I would really consider him just being the starting false nine. I would over it's, Benzema it's, even. It's an interesting. It's an interesting um, option to have. Um, I need to see more of Asensio playing there in competitive games to really get a sense of whether I like it or not. Mainly because there's not a lot of false nines that exist in world football and have existed. So it's it's very difficult to, I think, like you can see a player and look at his qualities and be like, well, he'd be great on the left wing. But I think it's very hard for the false nine because it's sort of an ambiguous position a lot of qualities you could kind of could kind of slot in there. There are players you think who could play there who couldn't. Um, so we also have, I think, a to- grand total of two game sample size of a sense yes. of playing as a false nine. So yeah, right. so so I think I I think there is promise there. I think like as much as you can tell like what makes a false nine good. I think a sense you have some raw qualities, but I would urge people to be. I think cautiously optimistic is fair, which I think I I think I don't think you you know Keon and Gabe are are being overly optimistic. I think you both know how to ground your expectations. I'm just speaking to the larger audience here, um, because it, He's it is it is, than Messi <laughs> it, it is it is difficult. If you think about the great false nines, like there's Messi, um, and then there's there's Francesco Totti, I mean, and there's there's not that many more. Um, and it's it's hard to balance the act of being this extra link in midfield and still scoring a ton of goals because you still are the number nine. Yeah. Um, so it will be interesting to see how Lopetegui makes that work. Um, fingers crossed. I mean, I think Asensio has some raw skills to make it happen, but we'll see how it plays and out. We've also seen Isco play in that role. I mean, I just I, I think that it's more that I'm excited about the idea because I think this, this, this squad is actually kind of set up to do well with a false nine generally, not necessarily who it is exactly. Because we, like I said, we know that Isco can play the false nine. It appears that Asensio can play this position pretty well. I, you know, and Benzema basically already sort of plays like a false nine. So like, it's, it's, uh, it's just good to see that, that he's, he is running this formation and this tactical idea out, which is something that, you know, I think that for all the brilliance of Zidane, he didn't have that much, that, quite that ability to uh, experiment and have new tactical ideas. Uh, 
when you know he definitely did have different different looks that he played but this is one one look that i wanted to see more of that we hadn't and we've been clamoring it for it for such a long time and it's good to it's good that i think that lopetegui is 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 trying it out and that it's giving pretty good results i mean obviously isco isn't at his peak or even close to it he looks quite gassed I mean, he basically ran, played the best of anyone on that Spain team for the most minutes. And, you know, I I can totally get being gassed, like going and having that type of World Cup where you are basically trying to carry that team by yourself. And then uh, and then just going on vacation and not really doing as much physical training so that when you get back, the first few games, of course, are going to be exhausting. Uh, but I think when he's back to kicking at full stride, he will be a great option for. Uh, as that kind of binding agent there um, and playing at that false nine occasionally. I, not just Asensio, basically. Well, I think <clears throat> to, the two traits that Asensio has that I think will make him a good candidate in this role more than other people in the squad is that, one, he can finish. He's a good finisher. He can score goals. Um, you put him in enough chances and he'll, he's going to, I think, significantly upgrade his goal tally from last season in a more prominent role. And two, to me... The false nine just needs to be really intelligent off the ball in his movement. And the limited sample size we had last season of both him and Isco in a free roll, um, Asensio to me looked like he was more efficient just knowing where to be. I would also say that this, I don't, I, I don't know if we can talk about this enough. To me, it's a bit under talked about. This entire season to me rests on Bale's health. Like if he's... Yeah. If he's not healthy for the significant, more important stretch of the season, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like, I think it, it really is on his shoulders because if he's part of the reason why you really, it's hard to bring in someone like Hazard because we can talk about Asensio's playing time, but Hazard, someone like Hazard would help a lot if Bale gets injured for a big stretch of the season. But if Bale stays healthy, I think it changes everything because he is de facto like the only reliable game in game out goal scorer we have in the entire squad entire squad that's him yeah. and if, if anything happens to him i i'd start sweating and he is he really is that game-breaking game-changing talent with just the the ta- ability to strike the ball his nose for goal his i mean the physical his physicality i mean he is when he is healthy the you know definitely for me a top five player in the world and it's going to be important because those are the types of players that you need to lean on when things aren't really working out or or you know the tactical ideas aren't coming off as well you know you need those those uh players like bale to step up and and put the team on their back and we'll have to see if he's going to be able to do that i think he will uh but it's it really is just going to come down like you said to health and even in this game, we saw him. Uh, I mean, that was an incredible strike. It's preseason; who cares? But my, oh my, was that a good, was that a good shot? It was a great shot. I, I <laughs> the th- thing with Bale in the preseason to me has been that um, he's kind of looked like in fifth gear. Like I think that was part of the reason why the second half to me was more exciting. And by the way, like the game against Juve reminded me where why I just I don't find preseason that interesting. The first game I found really more fascinating because I was just I think I was just deprived of Real Madrid and then you're like, "Oh, it's preseason, it's really not that exciting." Maybe 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 it actually just really wasn't exciting and the first game was better, but the, the <laughs> that's sec- what I think. <laughs> yeah, the second half of um but that was one of the reasons the second half was better because the the kids were hungry and they were in if you like 
I think Vinicius and like these guys, at least in terms of effort levels, if not form, were in first gear. Whereas Bale was just kind of feeling it out to me, a bit casual. And understandably so. Like he's just trying to go through the motions at this point of the season. Um, but like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about him at some point. But I think when you look at the gear that the kids were in because they had something to prove, I thought that was, that's the stuff that makes preseason really exciting. Um, Bale looks fine. I, you know, I don't think he's been great or bad. He's just kind of there doing, just trying to get into some kind of rhythm. Uh, oh, I don't know if you want <laughs> to. I kind of ended that statement on like half. I just kind of ended it without really finishing a <laughs> sense. So I, 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 left you, also, I left you guys uh, in limbo. So I just leave it up to you guys to take over and pick up. It's preseason podcast. You know, we really are just trying to get up to speed. You can't ask too much of us. Uh, <laughs> we're just trying to try new tactical ideas. And, we're in fifth um, year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Every now and then, Ohm takes a shot outside the box. It's brilliant. Yeah. And then he gets rested for the second half of the podcast. Where are you, Omar? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Um, Omar, yeah, I mean, the guy with the most notes from this game. We need you to carry us. What, tell do. us more about your immediate <laughs> reaction. Moment. Okay. I mean, if you don't have anything much more to say about this game, we can go and – I mean, again, this. let's be clear. This is preseason, so it's not like we're – um, yeah, we, either of us, Kia, took tons of notes or any notes in my case, but yeah, uh, I mean, I think we can point out, I was just trying to like quickly run through like what I think we, we can mention, I think Reguillon or Reguillon is how you say his name. I think he played quite well from left back. Um, yeah. this second game in player. A row. yeah, second game in a row where he looked quite impressive again. I don't know how much to take away from it, but it, it was impressive to see the confidence he came out with. You know, I, I, I hardly saw any mistakes from him. He had a really nice moment um, where he cut inside on his weaker foot and launched a goal, launched a shot at goal yeah. and forced Chesney into a good save. Um, you know, that that was nice to see. I mean, I, I, I think this is just... I think all the youngsters have shown us at least something except for... Um, what was the name of the centre-back that's played now twice in a Javi row? Javi Sanchez. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's looked a little out of his depth. Um, yeah, he know, looked a bit be better fair, last game. Like he, I thought, you know. Yeah, it could it could just be nerves. Um, and again, like it's 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 hard. Like I don't want to go out straight up and say this guy can't play for Real Madrid, but you know, from what we've seen, he just he he struggled a little bit. But otherwise, I think all the other youngsters have looked quite confident. Um, you know, they they've shown something that I'm sure, you know, Lopetegui is 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 noting down. And even more so, probably what they show in training, yeah. um, you know. And I hope, I hope this helps them, you know, gain some actually, confidence before they go out on a loan or something. And, speaking and, of the, speaking of these young ones, I actually wanted to bring one up, one piece of news up that I didn't. I realized we didn't talk about last time, Kian, which is that um, Lopetegui has named Albert Celades as the uh, right. uh, second coach, and Celades was the coach of the under twenty one Spanish team, yeah. which means that he basically he actually has a, a a good relationship with a lot of these people already and he my my understanding is that he is a, quite a well-liked coach in the spanish kind of universe yeah i think and i still to this day i'm a bit surprised that spain didn't bring in Saladas instead of hierro when during that whole fiasco when they let lopetegui go last second um <clears throat> because he has a 
um, he has a clear, at least, coaching philosophy and identity, whereas Hierro just kind of went into it raw and was just there as a kind of a figure more than a coach, if you ask me. Um, yeah. Which was kind of unfair to Hierro, too. And, you know, there's only so much he can do in that situation. I thought Salatis would have been a more logical choice. Um, I didn't expect him to come in as a second choice here. Um, but I think, as stylistically, he fits. He does understand the Juego de Posición, how it works. He has a connection with the younger players. He was the coach of the under-21 team with um, Mayoral, Llorente, Odriozola. Um, there, Ceballos is another one. Asensio wasn't even, was also in that team. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, it's, I think it's, he's actually quite a qualified assistant coach, to be honest. I, this is, this is kind of cool to have him around. Um, yeah. If you remember him as a player, quite an unremarkable player. He was. Yep. He was one of the few in the short list of the history of football that played for Barcelona and Real Madrid. And when we signed him from Barca, it was just kind of like no one. I, I don't. No think one cared. I really remember. cared. Like it was like okay. And he played. He played a few games. Like, um, not. But he's. I guess yeah. as a coach, he's been a bit better. And I think it's a. It's a good. It's cool to kind of bring him in. There's certainly nothing. I don't see any harm in it. He's a good connection no, 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 with no. the younger players. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's, that's not what you were anything, saying. If anything, I right think now. it's nice. Like it's, yeah. I think it's a great addition, uh, personally, because it, it, he and Lobetegui have a good relationship. Very clearly, they both have a very um, similar and very clear style. They both understand and implement the whole of the position very well. And Saladas especially has a, and they both do have a very good relationship with this kind of young core of Spanish players and. I think that if Madrid is going to do well this season, it really will come down a lot in addition to like just Gareth Bale's body. Uh, it's going to come down to how well these uh, these this core of Spanish kids evolve because they they really did invest a huge amount of the future of the team and just in 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 these players, in this group of players being good and as good as everyone has said they are. And it's time for them to step up and you know, this is their, this is their season. And, and this is uh two coaches who are literally, this is what they, what they are brought in for is to make this, um, this group of players kind of realize their potential. Yeah. I have, um, <clears throat> I, have, I have a couple more notes from this game. If you want, um, do it. We did a little rapid fire at the last podcast with any leftover notes I had from these preseason games. Uh, there's not many that we didn't already talk about that, but I will just say two things. Um, Javi Sanchez, which I briefly mentioned, I thought he had a uh, a better game. He had like one really shocking giveaway in the second half where um, Juve had a dangerous counterattack, but. All in all, I think because he was on the same side as Carvajal. In the first half in particular, he actually covered for Carvajal quite a bit and had successfully came over to that flank when Carvajal was caught out and dispossessed the ball carrier. Um, whereas the first game, he was really... It must have been confidence because he had a good season with Castilla. And Castilla is like one exciting thing about them just generally under Solari has been their defense has been actually good. And Javi Sanchez looked out of it just in the first game, not in sync with the rest of the defensive line, like not offside traps and just giveaways, defending set pieces. He was better. But this leads to Carvajal, who is still like this. This goes back to our one year anniversary this time last yeah. preseason where he just was not Carvajal anymore. Um, he stepped it up a few times in the Champions League, I think. And even his presence out of form is 
is still the best option at right back we have, if you ask me, because he brings a lot to the table. Um, he just, I don't know what it is with him, but he doesn't look, um, he doesn't look confident. His touch is a bit off. Let's hope that none of this matters and that Odriozola might light a fire in him to, to pick That's it up. That's the hope. Yeah. That's definitely the hope. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also mention that Valverde played, um, Fede played, uh, 90 minutes, which is cool. Yeah. Um, I think he is a really exciting, you know, long-term player for Madrid and, uh, I'm interested to see how you guys see this going for him because obviously his last loan spell really didn't work very well. No. Uh, he did not play very much, and, and I'm not sure how much he's developed. So Madrid really need to figure out a better way to help him develop a little bit more, and if that's finding a better team to loan him to, then fine. Um, or if that's bringing him back to Castilla and like giving him more minutes, that's fine too. I mean, I'm, But I'm interested in how the next step for him is, do you think? Well, he can't play in the team this season. It's just that... There's too many players in his position. He has to go on loan. He has to go somewhere. I'm not opposed to a, uh, an option where you go a one-year loan with, with where the team has an option to renew his loan for a second year because I don't think it's that urgent to bring him in given Kovacic and Ceballos are still here. I would say that he... I think he looked good in this game against Juve and I thought like some of his the way he read some of the passing lanes has actually worked as a box to box midfielder he he can play that role I think maybe this performance against United was a bit overblown I didn't think he looked that good especially in the first half second half he looked better but I think that was just understandable because he's just getting back into it he's rusty he's his loan spell he didn't play Sador came in tried to play him and then he got injured which was a disaster I think he know I think he needs and will go on loan this this summer or this this season, I don't know where, but I'm assuming somewhere in La Liga where he can play because there's just not at this moment there's too many players in this position. Yeah, but he is still quite young and has has that um, potential. I also um, I also thought Odegaard once again looked pretty good. Yeah, I think so too. Odegaard just to me like just fits. He looks confident. Yeah. He looks he really he, does. He's showing for the ball constantly. Um, he does. I almost, not, yeah. He almost is ready. I think. He. I definitely think he deserves one more a year on loan in Spain. But he. He really does look ready. Uh, and like he belongs. You know. Yeah, I don't think if, um, if you bring him off the bench in a game in La Liga this season, to me, I don't think he'd look out of place. Yeah. 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 That's that's what I mean. So I mean, yeah, obviously he's going to go out again, but I I definitely think it's time for him to make the next step up from Herenveen, which is a good team, obviously. But you know, playing in the high high level in Spain is the next step for him, I think. Yeah, and I think that's where he's going to end up. This I'd, I'd be really curious to know where he ends up, and for sure wherever he goes, we're going to pencil that game in, in the calendar to watch it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's and that's still true with a lot of these players. So. I uh, I think that's basically hits all of the notes that I wanted to hit in this in this um, just talking about this game. Uh, I don't know if you guys want, but uh, we have a lot of questions, and I figure we just jump into those now. Yeah, let's do it. All right, um, Jason Morel asks us. Um, Everyone is saying that Odriozola is a long-term successor to Carvajal, but I believe he's here to push him right now and fight for his spot immediately. Carvajal is just 26 years old and probably is another four to six years at a high level. 
Uh, I really doubt Odriozola would want to sit behind him that long with no chance of supplanting him. Odriozola <laughs> was better than Carvajal last season, and with Danny's injury history, I believe we'll see Odriozola sooner rather than later. Am I wrong to believe this? No. I mean, I think I think that's pretty much spot on. Like, the, I think the reason we got Odriozola was because we've realized that Carvajal doesn't play very well when he doesn't have competition. I mean, the two seasons where he has not been particularly outstanding were 2014-15 and then the last season, 2017-18, when he pretty much had no competition. 14-15, it was an Arbolo that was way past his prime. And 17-18, there was literally no right back behind him. It was it was makeshift with Nacho. Um, and, and you had Ashraf, who, I mean, he's extremely raw. I mean, very talented, obviously, but... Nowhere near the, the you know the level to compete with someone of Carvajal's caliber. So Odriozola has come in. You know he he is a quality first team player. He is close to the world class level for a fullback. So I mean he's coming here to fight for that place yeah. and and light a fire under Carvajal. The the club was not going to sign or or play another right back that simply never had a chance of fighting for Carvajal's place because. That is neither good for the. It's neither good for the club nor for nor for the player Carvajal. Yeah, yeah. So I think this 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 comment, this question is pretty much spot on. What would you say is Carvajal's best season ever? Um, best season, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, and that was following one of his worst seasons ever, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, I, I thought fifteen, sixteen was was actually pretty good. I think 14 15 was, was the one bad. that was That was really bad. Yeah. Which one was the one that he he wasn't great against Juve for two legs? That was 15 16. 2014 right? 15. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah because okay. 2015 16 Danilo came in and everyone thought Danilo was going to replace yeah. him and Carvajal even admitted later that he thought this was the end for him so he like worked his ass off right. and played played like it was his last game every single time and we were like, "Wow, this is this is incredible because yeah. Danilo completely, I mean, he was a disappointment and Carvajal just completely turned his career around again. And so that was, and then it was disappointing in 2017-18 to see him dip again. But I think we've identified a pattern now of, of why yeah. that happened. Yeah. Well, that yeah, was my ultimate good. point is that can Odriozola be the Danilo that lights a fire, but also be better than Danilo himself? Like, that's where I see this signing as as as... Not only successful and because Odriozola is good, but also because maybe this is what Carvajal needs. I'm also not sure if he's 100% healthy yet either. That's the thing. Like, I think he's playing through something. Yeah, I do too. I'm just not sure. I don't know. Um, I I really like Odriozola though. So right now Madrid has got two very high-level young right backs that are going to be, um, that both play really well. Carvajal, like I think, has a slight edge in both attacking and, and defending, but that is subject to change easily. So, um, all right. Ian Marley asks us, uh, of all the strikers linked to Real Madrid, one who has not been mentioned is Aguero. What do you guys think of him and would he fit the system? I really like him. And I think he'd be an excellent fit for Lovatagi's system. I, I, <laughs> I honestly, like, I, I don't think Aguero's. Well, not in, not this season, anyways. His name certainly didn't come up, and I think the reason is, I think he's been he's actually still playing at high level. Like there were there was definitely a, uh, a period of time where 
Guardiola was just obsessed with Gabriel Jesus and then Aguero didn't play. But when he came in and he started to actually play well. But the problem is, I guess he's 30 and he himself has said that he is just going to see out the end of his contract with City. And I think, I believe it goes to 2020, I think, is at least. Um, yeah, I don't I, know if I there's don't... anything else to say about this. Yeah, I don't think he's on the market. I just don't think he wants to go. Um, so, And I don't I think mean, Guardiola wants to let him. So. I mean, Aguero was arguably the best striker in the world last season, if you're not counting Ronaldo and Messi as strikers. I mean, so, yeah, I have no idea why City would let him go. His age is is not something that would be great for the long term. And, you know, there's there's injury concerns. So let's say he becomes available two seasons from now. It would probably only be because his form has fallen off. You know, Gabriel Jesus has managed to replace him, and you know, or he has some kind of injury. And I think at that point, Aguero wouldn't look like such an appealing option. Um, there was yeah. a point in time, several seasons back, where I badly, badly wanted Aguero, and it kind of looked like it was possible. I mean, I, I might be wrong. This is a long time ago, but I think even Aguero kind of talked about coming to Madrid, and it had me really excited. You know, I would I would definitely have taken him then. I think it was after Higuain left, and we only had Benzema as our striker, and Aguero yeah. would have been amazing at the time. But now it's it's just too late, and you know, there's I don't think there's any way City or Pep Guardiola is going to let this guy go because he transformed himself last season into a truly all round forward who could do absolutely everything, and so that was surprising for me to see the way he was able to transform himself so late in his career, but. You know, this guy is impressive, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon as long as he's still in his prime. Um, Chris G. Asses, um, I live in the D.C. Maryland area. <clears throat> it was pretty cool to see Real Madrid live. But my question for you guys is, uh, do you believe there's any chance Chelsea are doing what United did in 2015 with De Gea and dragging out the transfer with of Courtois until the last second? Yeah, maybe, right? Like, I, I mean, I don't... That De Gea thing didn't work because Real Madrid um, had the fax machine issue, but if, if all the technology had worked, Madrid would have gotten De Gea anyway. So, in the end of the day, like, if that's what they're doing, fine. But, the, if, I mean, every in every indication we've seen in every media, including today or yesterday with his agent, literally saying, you are keeping a man from staying with his family... Uh, in the media, I mean, it's hard to, for you to come back from having your agent say to your club, "Let this man be with his family." You know. <laughs> I, anyways, every indication we're seeing is that he is um, he is pushing to go in a way that we haven't seen many people push to go in a while. So I, I still think this is a transfer that's quite likely. Well, I think their their saving grace might be that Sari just really wants to keep him. Um, everything that Sari said publicly is that like we we really value Courtois. We it would it would not be good to lose him. I I don't know what happens. I agree that it's likely, um, but I also just have no idea. And the the whole parallel with 2015, I think I think probably only comes into play because they're both goalkeepers. Um, and I think the the De Gea thing, like we can talk about the last second fax machine and all that. I think. It's also possible that both clubs were kind of just waiting until the end to see if this there was there was a bit of like there was a sense of cold feet heading into it that you know maybe maybe this is a good idea maybe this is not maybe this is the best price we can pay or get for him maybe it's not I don't know if Courtois is necessarily in in that situation but um, 
I I think we all agree that Courtois at that price would actually be an interesting interesting get. Um, maybe if you're not paying like you know in a, like a, tons and tons of money for him, but at the price that Real Madrid can get him, I think it's an interesting choice. Even despite Courtois not having his best year, it'd be interesting to see how the saga goes on. But I, it's possible that I think Sarri can still twist his arm. I, it's just one of those things that you just don't know. It's possible that it'll drag though. I don't know. Um, all right, this seems like a good time to mention this, but uh, when this pod, when the show starts ramping up um, during the year, we uh, uh, we like you said, if if we if you toss us five dollars a month, we'll answer your que- or, uh, we'll answer your question um, and each show. Uh, but the way that that works is that we're going to answer one question per person on the show. So we guarantee that we'll answer one of your questions. And if you, uh, but if you want to ask like three or four, just tell us. You know, and you care a lot about which one gets answered. Make sure you mention that in the question itself. Um, so, because generally, uh, uh, these we can end up with five, six, seven pages of questions. So we need to figure out. Um, you know, we we do do a little bit of uh, of culling. We we promise that we're going to answer a question from each of you per pod. It's just that sometimes we get people who ask ask like seven six, seven questions. <laughs> and while we love that, um, we do we can't just give. 20 minutes of a show uh, because you answer ask six seven questions we we try to answer your question um, and we will do we do reserve the right to do a little bit of chopping and editing um, to make sure that we give you the best possible answer um, to the most interesting question uh, so just just saying that now because I'm about to say Sajid Reyes has a few questions for us so um, the uh, I'm just gonna we're, I guess we're gonna try to go through these we're gonna go through them pretty quickly um, if you were Florentino Perez and you um, heard firsthand the ludicrous offer that Inter have supposedly made for Modric, which is apparently a 15 million euro loan for this season and a 25 million euro uh, uh, option to purchase in 2019, how would you react if the objective is to reject the offer and humiliate them at the same time? I would do what Florentino Perez did, actually. I would just say his clause is 750 million and then not answer any more questions yeah i would i would not even entertain it further because i think to entertain it further would be to to entertain it as something serious as something that you see as a threat i would just shrug it off i think that's the most humiliating way you could treat it not not that i think florentino is trying to be humiliating but i think that could have the best effect um that sajid is going for while while keeping it classy and while you know just just not entertaining it as something serious because to brush off an offer from a club like it doesn't exist, you know, that that can be pretty insulting, especially because Inter Milan still, you know, they're still a pretty big club historically. They've had their moments in Italy. They're, you know, they've been a serious force of late. So I like Gabe said, that's that's just the best way to deal with it. Yeah. Um, the second one is, ever since the Ronaldo transfer, why are the Italians and the Italian media behaving like a bunch of fools who just come out of prison after 20 years and haven't got laid? <laughs> uh, especially with the Modric stories. I mean, I don't I don't really know what this is. I, I, I think there is just um, a general um, feeling in Italy that they want their teams to get back to being... Um, considered among the elite in Europe and it's been a long time since other than any team other than Juve has really um I think been counted among the elite and I think especially the Milan clubs are both um feeling like they've 
come a long way since their glory days and want to get back up. Especially, I mean, like uh, AC Milan is is clearly out to out to change things up a little bit. I mean, they just did some really great business with Iguain and Caldera, and I think they um, are in a better financial position now after after the sale from their truly shady um, uh, <laughs> owner guy. Uh, and then you are Inter is, is basically the same the same thing. I mean, they fended off obviously a bid from Madrid for um, um, what's his name, the, the striker, um, and now they're trying to again also be one of the teams that kind of fights back into the top end of the of the of the spectrum. And then like Napoli brought in Ancelotti, which is a a crazy and amazing um, uh, yeah, play, I think. So um, I think the Italian teams are, are are trying their best to get back. And that's why we're hearing so much about them because this is really, they feel like they've been out of the out of the game for such a long time. What are you doing <laughs> at home? No, no. I don't that's know. I don't know what home is doing. Uh, but I, I, I also don't necessarily know or understand the context of what this question is about. Um, it seems some of the wording is a bit aggressive. Bro, I was laughing so fucking hard throughout the team. <laughs> I'll fucking tell you the way this question was phrased, man. Do I have to do editing now, man? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on, Kyo. Go on. I almost have all I can. I thought I was having a seizure for a second. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, man, I hate editing. Damn it. Uh, no, I just say keep it in, man. I'll Whatever. Keep it, in, man. keep it in. As I was saying. Um, I thought the wording was a bit harsh and aggressive. Um, I, I would say that I think, you know, if it's just speaking to Adam Digby, um, friend of the show who's been on Juve Journalist, this is a big deal for Juve getting Ronaldo. Like, it was a huge deal. Forget that it's Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest players of all, of all time, arguably the greatest player of all time. Uh, you know, as he said, Juve have never, ever signed the best player in the world in a transfer window. So this was a huge deal for not only them, but also Italian football. Um, so I don't know entirely the context of the question, uh, you know, the wording of the question, who is kind of being a quote-unquote fool or idiot or whatever, um, because they're excited about these signings. But, you know, it's a huge deal for them to be, quote-unquote, back on top or at least to a level where they're attracting players of this magnitude. Yeah. Our last one from Sajid is uh, uh, what the fuck is happening with PSG and FFP? <laughs> Sajid, are you, I'm, I hope you're all right, man. This is um, this, PSG. Uh, remember that. I mean, I have an article actually coming out about this, but PSG, they have a lot of their owners are really, really rich. Remember that. So they're. There are ways to game play games with FFP. We'll see if they how that's exactly gone. But um, you know, FFP wasn't designed to prevent clubs from spending money if they have money. It was designed to make sure that clubs don't spend money they don't have, if that makes sense. So PSG has a lot of money and they're throwing it around. And you know, they threw a lot of it around last year. They're throwing a lot of it around this year. And I don't know. We'll have to see how whether that even works out for them. It didn't work out for them last year, really. And I mean, if they go and get Kante and Boateng and and whatnot, they will have a really, really good team. <laughs> the Boateng uh, thing is entirely bizarre, by the way, because it's it's about his ties with Jay Z. Because he's one of the footballers who signed with Jay Z's um, sports really? agency, 
Yeah, and so Rumenegi and, and the entire Bayern front office are just absolutely fed up with Boateng's like regular trips to New York to see Jay Z and and hang out with him, and they feel like he's been distracted. So it's 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 kind of and it's a very bizarre situation. I'm sure PSG won't care about any of that stuff. They just want to sign him. I mean, he's he's a if I were Bayern, I just I I don't know if it's an overreaction, but Boateng is to me still one of the best defenders in the world. So I don't. It seems kind of weird to to use this as a reason to offload him. Um, yeah, it does feel a little bit like Bayern is um, staying put when maybe they should be playing a little bit more aggressive defense. But yeah, Ru- I, 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 I mean, I don't want to get too much into this, but after the kind of like Ozil comments and stuff, this guy has his own idea of what a moral code should be. Um, you know, I'm talking about Rumenega here, yeah. not, not Boateng. Um, so, I mean, you know, he, he, he sees this in his own way. So I, I don't necessarily see how this is particularly a problem since I think Boateng has been a class center back, you know, on the pitch for, for several seasons now. But, you know, this is, I think there is more going on here than just simple, like, you know, this is, this is affecting his performances on the pitch yeah, because I, I don't agree. necessarily think it is, but right, that's, that is a different topic entirely. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Carlos Salinas asked, um, I really like Leonin, uh, the little we've seen of him. How often do you think he'll play with the first team? More than Casilla? It all depends on what happens in the transfer window. Does yeah. Courtois come? Does he not? Um, I If... If there, if this is the roster and this is what we're going to the season like today, this and there was no other additions, I'd prefer Lunin to get oh, in yeah. over Casilla as a second I, choice. I mean, I think I think so, but I think I think what's going to happen is that Lunin is going to. I think Casilla is going to be the backup, and I'm not wrong. Lunin is the one who's going to be the Castilla number one, right? I don't I, know if there's any definitive thing either way. Um, I I am of the belief that. Courtois will come in and Navas will he and Navas will kind of battle for the first place and then you know do some rotation between those two. I I if that signing happens then Lunin will go on loan I think and Casilla probably has his days numbered with Real Madrid which is fine by me. I don't I don't have any personal animosity toward Casilla. I just don't think he's good enough to play for this team. I mean he's average. I mean I mean, nothing wrong with that but he's average. It's that's just how it is. Yeah. Um, but if Courtois doesn't come, I think it could very well just we'll just have the same goalkeeper situation as last year, where Casilla is playing second and Kaler is starting, and that's sort of where we are. I think that's exactly what it's going to be. Um, well, I think <clears throat> not that I knew anything about Lunin before we signed him, but now that I know him, I think he's overqualified for Castilla. If I'm being honest, yeah, he might go on loan still. Probably, probably. Um. Essa Hariri says, uh, I have a question for you guys. How can a player be so professional that he can silence his emotions and support a club he loved since he was a kid and join the rival club and give his best there? Um, for example, Modric was a Barca fan but ended up in Real Madrid and gave his best there. Other examples include Coutinho, Isco, and believe it or not, Iniesta. Um, I think it's because you're a professional and you just you well, know, this is your job. You do your job. Yeah, so. I'm. I think that weirdly enough, like I've thought about this a lot. 
even though I absolutely have have never had a fucking chance to, you know, even a little chance in like 0.001% to ever become a professional football player. But like I thought about, you know, that's like that's been I'm sure that's every single one of us here have have dreamed of that at some point, especially when you were in high school, you know, just out of nowhere, a scout comes and says, you know what, you want to play for my club. And you know, I've, I've thought about this extensively. What if Barcelona came and said the same to me? Would I say yes? What is my duty as a fan? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure I've answered that definitively, but I've tried to put myself in, in the shoes of other players. And and when you become a professional football player, the first thing you have to understand is that you're no longer a fan and that you have to take care of yourself. This is a, As fans, we forget that this is a game of slim margins and that a lot of the chances these players get it is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's never going to come again. If Barcelona comes to you and says, we want you to come play for the academy, you cannot turn that down because you cannot bet that Real Madrid is going to come, you know, a week later and say, hey, you want to join us? Like, this is your one chance and you have to take it. And I mean, that that's what you, it, because it will playing for Barcelona, you know, will help you will help your professional career, whether you're playing with the academy or whether you're playing with your first team. It's not something that's going to come against. So you have to say yes. And again, I think as fans, that's sometimes difficult to understand. But once you put yourself in the mindset of a professional, it becomes a fairly easy decision because you you got to play for yourself. You got to enhance your own career. If you want to become a great, you got to make decisions like these. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's very tough for people like you know, Isco, Coutinho, Modric, because because they, they know what they're here for, and it, it's for them to be the best professional they can be, and that means signing for, for the best teams that are available out there. Think also about... I would fucking do it, absolutely. For whatever for, I know, wow. like, whatever, I would 100%. If someone, if some, like, are you kidding? Like, if they were, like, the only people offering you a chance to, like, of course. Follow your dream and be a footballer. And yeah, so what? You just put it aside and you know, shoot your shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, Think about also I... what some of these players go through as kids. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, Modric is, is the guy who literally they were finding shelter in abandoned buildings and, and hearing grenades go off outside. So when you come from all, especially from a childhood like that, I don't care who's paying you. Like it's you. You take it. You sort out your entire family. Like that's it. Um, this is also why I I I, I kind of find it hard that people criticize so much when these players like Paulinho or whoever um, just go to China and and get a bunch of money. Like you have no get idea what money. a lot of these players go through as kids. And you, if you think that playing for your rival, you know, me, like we, I, it's 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 a yeah. no brainer to me, you know. That's a really good point because the way I was coming at it was like it was from a privileged position. The way I was tackling the problem, most I I don't know if I say most, but a ton of these players, like you said, like when you wrote that article about Casemiro, they come from utter poverty, yeah. and so they they don't even have the luxury of thinking about it the way I was saying. I I would think about it. You know, where your club loyalties lie. It's this is my one chance and my dream to put food on the table every single day, you know, and make sure my parents live comfortably for the rest of their lives. And when you put it that way, like, I, I think the way you said it, Keon, was 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 perfect because when you put it that way, like, it, it is no debate. Like, there's no question. You just take it immediately. Um, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, I don't think there's more to say after that because I think that was the perfect way to say it. Uh, last question. Um, Essa, or sorry, Thomas Berg asked us, um, not last question, there are more. Um, <laughs> it's like the third or fourth <laughs> last question. <laughs> Uh, last uh, question on the page you're reading. Yeah, last question on the page I'm reading. <laughs> Thomas Berg asks us, uh, in uh, an article or po- post-GVA pod, please go through the different tactical formations following the subs. Uh, for Madrid, I assume not Juve. <laughs> From what I saw, it was a 4-2-3-1 um, interchangeable in three behind with Benz over the top, and then a change to some sort of 4-3-3 three, three with the false nine. Um, and now in the end, I don't know with what Lucas and Mayoral as forward with Asensio as center mid and Llorente as center back in a 4-4-2. Um, so basically, Ohm, he wants, I think that the question is, what what were what were the formations that, what were the kind of tactical formations that Lopetegui was trying out in this game? I mean, I think he's pretty much, I, I think he's pretty much correct um, in that, well, definitely the first half was, it was a 4-3-3 for sure. It was a 4-3-3 in the first half because it was Ben's up top, Bale on the right. Um, well, was it Vinicius who started? Uh, no, it was Isco. We, sorry. We, had, we also had Ceballos, like the spearhead. Right, yeah, it was Isco. Almost. Sorry, yeah. it was Isco on the left. It was Ceballos and Fede as the two interiors and Kroos as the anchor in the three-man midfield as a defensive midfielder. So it was definitely a 4-3-3. And then in the second half, you had Asensio come on for, for Benzema. Um, you had Vinicius come on for Isco. And I think it was Odegaard who came on for Bale, if I'm not wrong. So it was still a 4-3-3. Um, and then after that, when you know Mayoral and Lucas came on, I, I think throughout the entire game, we were just seeing different players... All in the same four three three. If I'm not wrong, yeah. No, I don't have anything to add to this. That's what I thought also. Yeah. Um, okay, Christian Gonzalez asked, um, "I'd like to know how confident you, Keon, are of having Llorente be part of a starting eleven in a match where everyone else is a starter, just filling in for Casemiro." This is, of course, in an important La Liga match. I feel fine. I feel more than comfortable with it. I also feel comfortable. I have, yeah, I, I have no doubt in Llorente's ability, even in a big game. Like I think he's fine. I, it's, I think the way Lopetegui will use the midfield this year, I think will give a lot of confidence to both Llorente and Ceballos, where you have six midfielders for three positions. You have Llorente behind Casemiro, Kovacic behind Modric or Cruz, and Ceballos behind Modric or Cruz. And I think um I, I i would be more than confident in your anti-reading the game from that position and and just distributing the ball quickly i'd be fine with yeah. it and i know i know christian's not asking me but i'm, I'm gonna say <coughs> then, something then anyway. don't, don't don't give your opinion if he's not asking you. <laughs> I, I i just wanted to supplement with Keon. oh okay okay then go ahead because because zidane didn't necessarily use your to his strengths the way Zidane likes to use his defensive midfielders was quite unique to his system. Wasn't very involved in possession, you know, was kind of shoved out of the way a little bit, played higher up the pitch, in between the lines sometimes, and then used as this kind of roaming destroyer when the ball was lost. And that's not that's not who Llorente is at all. The way Lopetegui plays is something that is a hell of a lot more suited 
to to the kind of player that Llorente is. More of a deep lying playmaker, a lot more involved in distribution of the ball, you know, and a little more static with his positioning. Defense, you're going to see this season is going to be a lot more about the collective and a lot more about structure than Casemiro or 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 whoever's playing defensive midfielder single-handedly saving the entire team, you know, with these incredible defensive uh, bursts. I mean, I'm sure we'll still see that at times because the structure won't always be perfect. It'll break down and we're going to need our defensive midfielder to step up with these incredible interceptions and tackles. But it's going to be much more about structure and much more about positioning within that structure. Yeah. And I think Casemiro is still going to thrive in that defensive setup. But Llorente's strengths are now going to come to the yeah. fore and he's going to look a lot better here. He's built um, for it. Yeah. Because yeah. that's kind of how he played with with Alaves not on the offensive end but on the defensive end that's why his numbers were so impressive and he looked so impressive because he played in in a defensive system that was much more about the collective where it wasn't all on him and it was his intelligent defensive positioning that allowed him to to, to rack up those numbers and I think we're going to see the same thing here and this was an, also an Alaves team that really just barely had possession of the ball and they relied a lot on the counterattacks. And Llorente, imagine a team that just doesn't have possession um, and gets pressed a lot because of the nature of how deep they played. He was in all kinds of positions where he was always pressed and he would always feel comfortable and confident getting out of it with a, either a touch or a quick outlet. And like he's the type of player who will just get the ball to point A to point B as quick as possible. And I think... Um, his press resistance really helps in the situation, especially if Lopetegui wants his anchor to play deeper and drop in behind and in, in between the center backs when needed. And um, and one of the, the his greatest assets to me is also being very good in starting counters. Like He's never going to be the one who's going to provide a key pass, but he is going to be one who will distribute from, from the back as one of... And and not to not to compare him in terms of uh, I guess your greatness levels, but stylistically to me, he's still very similar to Busquets in that he reads the game, and I think he can get to a point where the opposing teams will start to realize that they have to take him out of the game just to prevent any buildup and to stifle Real Madrid's attacks. I think he has that potential. I agree. I, I mean, I don't have anything else to add. This is, uh, you know, a good question. I think because, but I also think that. Finally, um, he's going to be you know, coached by someone who understands what he can bring in a better way than I think Zidane did. He kept playing him out of position a little bit. So I'm hopeful. Um, all right. And last uh, guaranteed question we have here is Adrian Rios um, asks, what is up with Lopetegui? What's up with Lopetegui? He deleted his Instagram and Twitter. I only find it strange because he was very active on social media. Then all of a sudden he deleted it. Does it feel like Real Madrid is trying to be overly cautious with him? Oh, it's, it has nothing to do with Real Madrid, I'm sure. I think it has everything to Lopetegui realizing exactly what this fan base is like. And yes. being yeah. like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with any of that shit. And out the window. I'm surprised I, he even yeah. kept it for that yeah. long. Me too. Yeah. Because all it's going to fucking take, I'm sure in preseason when we lost, he was already getting these comments. All it's going to take is like a loss in La Liga. And the last thing he needs is oh Marvin fucking messaging and being like, what the fuck are these tactics, man? The structure here was off. You need to do this, this, and this. I'm sure he's like, yeah, I don't need that. Um, yeah, or like 
that isn't even the craziest shit that he probably gets. Like, oh yeah, that 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 would. That that's would useful. Be... That's nice and useful. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the um, go kill yourself type right. comments that we've seen on other players' posts are, are probably something he doesn't need to handle. And I think, honestly, if I was a player or a coach, I would delete my social media as well. I mean, I understand that some players need it because they become you know huge marketing icons like Ronaldo, so that's not an option for them. But that's that's not the you can case. Make a lot of money on sponsored posts. Yeah, I would I would keep them, um, but I'd also not ever do it myself. I would literally yeah. never check it and hire someone to do it. Yeah, but that's not the case with coaches, right? They're rarely ever marketing icons and stuff like that. They make their money from either writing books or fa- mostly overwhelmingly from the salary they get from the club. So their their social media is not nearly the same asset it is as it is for players. So he really has no reason to keep it other than interacting with people online. And that that that's not really much of a motivation when you're at a club where the, the fan base is so demanding and, you know, frankly vicious at times. It's not a surprise at all to be yeah. deleted. All right, last two. I wanted to, I wanted to get your thoughts. First of all, we do, and, and the last one is just a kind of housekeeping. But um, you guys both play FIFA, um, and so this is a question: Did you guys see the FIFA Raul icon card, and how excited are you to use it? Uh, do you think the stats are accurate? So I play FIFA. Um, I I generally just um, in my in my spare time I just. Um, I essentially roast people on FIFA and just annihilate them. I've never played Ultimate Team, um, so I don't even know. I think the icon card is has to do with the FIFA Ultimate Team. I don't. I've never done it, but I was looking at the stats. Um, I'll just I'll just read them off to you guys. Eighty-eight for pace. Ninety-two for shooting. Eighty-two for passing. 90 for dribbling, 47 for defending, 75 for physicality, and 92 overall. I think the pace is generous, but at the same time, I think when you're creating a FIFA player, if he's not fast, he's not going to be good. So I think it would be awkward to put slow Raul in the game. That's why, because then he just wouldn't be good. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think everything else is kind of good defensively. Like I'm not sure what defense really means in the context of FIFA, like what attributes specifically, but he was very intelligent off the ball in his pressing and stuff. So um, I don't have much to add. I don't, I, I don't even use... What was his team. overall? 92. 92. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he could probably be really good finisher in this game. He'd score a bunch of goals. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add because I don't have um, a console beyond the Xbox 360. So the last FIFA game I could play was FIFA 17. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't play Ultimate Team either. So yeah, I'm gonna yeah. have to, maybe I'll have to start now now that I know this is an option. Ultimate Team will fucking suck your life away, dude. Okay, then I won't get into it. I played Fortnite I, yeah. like for one night, and that was it. I just, uh, just like this is. <laughs> I, yeah, I gave. I I've given up on video games, unfortunately. I wish I should. I should no, it's fortunately. Moments. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, last just piece of housekeeping, just in reference to Elian Zako's question about um, the fan stories. Like I, I think everyone remembers that we did that giveaway of the Gareth Bale signed jersey. Um, 
and uh, we read some of our favorites. That that was sort of what we um, that was sort of we figured that was sort of the end of that. Um, we, if you uh, assuming that we get you know maybe we'll get another one of these giveaways again, we can um, uh, we could do something like that. So uh, and we'll read more fan stories. Um, and occasionally I think you know, it might be cool just to when we don't have as much things to say, we'll read some stories that we like. But yeah. for now, we're not going to just go in through and and take an entire episode of the show to just read all of the submissions we got because there were quite a few. Um, but we we really appreciate everyone's stories and it was really cool to read them and that was a great show and we got yeah, to, to it was go really fun yeah no yeah, I, so. I all the stories were great and uh, I so that episode we went in we read I think the, the best not not best but it was I think the the highest ranked in terms of the most likes proposed we read like the most popular out loud and it brought back a ton of memories like just to our own stories and it was cool listening to your stories um, it was a ton of fun it was great yeah. yeah. Um, we should do patron shoutouts. Let's do it. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you, to go, where you go to get different rewards and get access to uh, more shows apart from the weekly Sunday episodes. And we have a lot of content coming up your way this season. Uh, I think at least two, possibly three extra shows per week. We'll see. Um, shout out to these specific patrons who pledge $10 or more. And your reward is you get a shout out on the podcast. Nick Stefani, Sergio Monleon, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Gary Kohut, uh, Raghav Potluri, Bjorn Salvador, Dan Berthy, John Fernandez, Frederick Sundros, Selvin Adolfo, Chamale Perez, Anas Alazawi, Sheikh Atiri, Red Bat, Leon Stavernakis, Armin Gashi, Eric Rogers, Nick Ribeiro, Yahya Ibrahim, Said Mahad, Vicky Cohen, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackbrook, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jimmy Obeyed, and Daniel Smith. Woo! Gets longer every week. I love it. You guys it's are amazing. Really great. Thank you, you so much. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, all right, until Wednesday then, Kian. And home, Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.